Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio. Tonight we pick up where we left off, judges of integrity in our nation. And I'll tell you what, this was born out of our last show a little bit over a month ago. Folks, I'll tell you what, there are judges out here getting the job done, and they uphold the oath in which they took office for. This is AJC Radio. We start with the judges of integrity. That series starts right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams. And I'll tell you what, folks, tonight we are dealing with an issue uh, that was just, uh, William, very exciting a little bit of a month ago as we began to talk about judges that were doing really outstanding things, things that would make you stop, maybe uh, need some clinics for the tears or the the heart jerk effect, if you will, uh, and compassionate judges, judges that are there to do a job, and we take none of that away from them. Uh, they got a hard job to do. A lot of them do. Uh, but to find judges that are still motivated by the level of integrity uh, to do the job, but do it humanely and to do it the right way. And this is why this series was born, and this is why we're back here right now a little over a month later. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's really needed that we see the opposite side. You know, we've talked about the system and how it's broken. We've talked about wrongful convictions and the fallout of it. But there's those that are out there that they sit on those benches, they wear those robes, and they're reaching out and they're touching, they're trying to impact lives, they're doing things with the community. They see that their job is hard, but they have other avenues instead of just sentencing people uh, to jail or, or to serve time. They have an opportunity to, to reach out, to impact lives, to impact families, make, you know, leave a real valuable impression um, about the experience that not only touches those that are in their courtroom, but those that are outside, you know, and it continues to be one of those things that, like you said, it, it, it really pulls at your heartstrings that these people now they see the compassionate side of these judges, those that, that are really reaching out and they're really wanting to make the impact and that will ever, you know, forever change the lives of people. So this series is great. It's great to reach out and, and or excuse me, to see and, and put these, these judges, talk to them, and talk about them, and uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, Dennis, so, the, yeah, the last show, I mean, it was awesome. Uh, we learned a lot. We learned that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, judges' hands are tied because of plea deals and uh, how compassionate these judges can be. I mean, it was, it was a truly a great show. I believe we're going to have a great show tonight. Uh, we're going to talk to some judges again. Uh, we always talk about compassion, and in order to uh, referee, uh, you got to be impartial, and then you got to have some compassion. Oh, absolutely right. We're going to be joined tonight, uh, our honored guest tonight joining us, uh, Judge Arthur Hunter, also Judge James uh, DeLeon, if I'm pronouncing that right. And folks, the infamous Judge Joe Brown, uh, known all across the country uh, during, his, during the time, I guess, his show was on TV, and uh, Got to know Joe Brown very well and how he conducts his court. Uh, he's going to be joining us tonight as well. So we got some heavy hitters in the house uh, addressing, uh, uh, you know, 
the same thing we did uh, about a month ago. What what prompted them to get into public service? That is public service, and one of the one of the most important jobs you can have is to preside over proceedings uh, in a court of law as a judge. Very very important. I don't care if it's at the state level, federal level. Uh, you're talking about life impacting decisions uh, that are being made by these judges and judges all across the country. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, folks, feel free to dial into the show tonight. It's going to be uh, uh, reachable at 646-200-0628. That number again is 646-200-0628. And uh, looking forward to a, to a good show. Uh, and uh, this, this is going to be exciting as we, again, felt a need to start this series honoring judges. And we talk about uh, on this program, William, often uh, the con- misconduct of, of judges that we have run into. Uh, we say all the time that doesn't make the whole pot. Every judge is not like that. Uh, just as we address the negative impact that judges have that are not doing their job, we have to address the the, the impact that judges are doing, uh, the impact that, that has uh, as a result of them doing their job as well. So those are all key uh, important issues that we have to focus on tonight, and I think it's going to be a good one. Folks, on the other side of this break, we're coming back as we continue Judges of Integrity. And we're going to talk about what judges are doing in this country. we got some good ones uh, that are going to be joining us here tonight who are committed to doing the right thing. Uh, Again, joining us in the program, former judge uh, Joe Brown, uh, infamous Joe Brown, will be joining us. Also, uh, Judge Arthur Hunter and Judge James, uh, I'm trying to think how to pronounce it, DeLeon, I believe. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Uh, DeLeon will be joining us as well. So, folks. Hanging there with us tonight as we listen to these judges, their perspective on the criminal justice system, and some things that are passionate to them that makes them be a part of this series, Judges of Integrity. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252 That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. 
There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. You can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. Lame. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this? This is not who I am, and it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight, and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. 
of a Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. I think it was issued at 959. Uh, I, right. 959 and 58 seconds. And you can't park there until 10 o'clock. And you violated the city ordinances. These are the city ordinances, Inspector Quinn, that she violated. That point, that point two will get you every time, Judge. People are so accustomed and conditioned to the institutions of the government coming down, you know, hard on them without regard for any personal situations. You know, life is difficult at best. Because my son was recently killed last year. So they got my check because Who? he had old money. I'm going to reduce this to uh, $50. How much time do you need to pay it? I have not enough. All right. That's not going to leave without any money, is it? I'll leave it with five dollars. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm not going to leave you with five dollars. I'm not going to leave you. I'm, go I'm going to dismiss everything. I am particularly sensitive when youngsters come into the courtroom because I think that the conduct of a jurist and the presence of youngsters can shape their thinking in a way that may affect their future particularly their attitude toward the institutions of government. Your mom is charged with parking on a sidewalk, okay? And that fine is $100. So you, you have not had breakfast today. Thank you. Oh. Well, suppose I make a deal with your mom, okay? That if she buys you breakfast when you leave, that I'll dismiss, the, I'll dismiss it. Is that a good deal? <laughs> and I think I should take into consideration whether somebody is sick and whether their mother died and whether they have kids who are starving and whether all of those real life situations, you know, are so important to me. Right? Words, I don't wear a badge under my robe. I wear a heart under my robe. Morning, Pasquale. My daughter babysitted for you. Your daughter what? No, my daughter, my, my sister. Back in, uh, on Toby Street. Toby Street? That was years ago. And hey, what about her? 
my sister, I'd babysit. Oh, you used to oh she used to babysit for me. Yes, Your Honor. Yeah, so you never should tell me that stuff. Now oh. I, ha- I can't give you a break. Oh, I'm not asking for one, Your Honor. Because, number one, I know your uncle, and now your, babys- your sister babysat for her, so I have to give you, like, the full fine here. That's fine. Because if not, I'd be, so I have to uh, recuse myself. Uh, so I'm going to rely upon Inspector Quinn's uh, recommendation. She contacted the court prior to today, Your Honor, and said that she does believe there was one payment you still owe. <laughs> Inspector Quinn thinks your sister, uh, I'm o- I owe your sister some money that we haven't paid her. It's between you and her. <laughs> uh, what do you want to tell me about this? Uh, I've had some financial difficulties in the past uh, few years. And uh, I did try to make an attempt to pay one of them, and I did. I guess I did pay it late, and it was... Oh, one of these was paid. All right, it was paid. Uh, All right, I got it. I got it. $30. Thank you, Your Honor. Well, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen of America, AJC Radio, Judges of Integrity Series continues tonight. Well, you just heard... I'll tell you what, this judge is making his mark across this nation. Judge Frank Caprio, I'll tell you what, we said it last month on this show, William, that uh, what a judge. Uh, And I like the fact he's human and he understands the importance. And what stood out to me in that statement he made, he said, I consider how the youngsters coming up will view the institutions of government. Therefore, if the youngsters come up believing that the system can be fair, that the system can be compassionate, that the system can be what we thought it to be, and Judge Frank Caprio is making that clear, the impact of what you just heard, William. Well, you know, the thing about it is you heard the compassion and you heard his real sincere desire to reach out and touch people. You know, he said and he said, I wear my heart under, under this robe. You know, I don't wear a badge. I have I have a level of compassion. And you listen to him talking to the child there. Yeah. And uh, so so he made the deal with the mother. You know, you buy the son, you know, breakfast. You know, I mean, things like this. This is this is unheard of. These are things that that are touching, but it shows the. The personal side of the judge. It shows that he has compassion. It shows that he understands. He says, "I'm not going to take food and 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 risk the welfare of a child for a fine or penalty." I mean, he he, 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 he in that clip he was saying, "You know, I'm going to reduce this fine for the lady to fifty bucks." She said, "He said, can you do that?" She said, "I will leave me five bucks." He said, "You know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to dismiss dismiss it all." You know, and that's that's really what what he's talking about. He's talking about the compassion, yeah. uh, because you can't forsake the welfare of the children and of the family just, you know, for a fine or for you know. No, I got you, Dennis. Your thoughts on that? A judge. I mean that 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 was very compassionate. I mean, he really was concerned with, uh, you know, before he made his his judgment. I'm sure. Uh, in each case, it could have been, you know, the max. And when when we when we see judges that that are not caught up with the max, you know, the max that I can give you, uh, you know, that tells you something. That tells you that 
They're looking at the situation, the circumstances, and I mean, if you deserve, I'm sure judges will, you know, going to give you what you deserve, but I mean, I'm going to take in consideration what you're going through, uh, what brought you here in the first place, Uh, why are you standing before me, and, and, you know, taking all these different things into consideration, and then making uh, a judgment that, you know, I'm sure those those people walked out of that courtroom that day saying, wow, I mean, justice truly can be fair. Well, it looks like that there's going to be uh, uh, Judge Caprio is going to actually be uh, coming on television here in the Colorado area. Uh, that was verified to me today. Uh, so he's going to be on national television across the country. Uh, and if any judge deserves to be on there, it's Judge, it's judge Caprio because, you know what, people need to see a little bit more of that. And they need to see uh, very seriously the judge takes his job, but he, again, uh that stands out. It's a shame that you have to, people have to stand out to be compassionate because it is so rare in the land today. Uh, but I think that that speaks volumes. Uh, this next story, this is, this is awesome. Frustrated judge demands opposing counsel to find shelter for homeless being evicted from camps. Kathy Schuler, 62, uh, left who was released, uh, was released from jail Tuesday evening is given a hug by her granddaughter, Ashley Foster, 23, where they live at a homeless encampment along the Santa Ana River in Anaheim. Uh, Orange County's decision to remove hundreds of homeless people from encampments along the Santa Ana River has turned into a legal showdown over how the affluent region treats some of its most needy citizens, a battle being watched by other areas struggling with growing transit populations. U.S. District Judge David Carter on Tuesday demanded that Orange County officials cities, and homeless advocates collaborate to find shelter for hundreds of people who have been living in the camps, saying he would survey the area for himself on Wednesday. Carter last week granted a temporary restraining order barring Orange County Sheriff deputies from arresting homeless people who refuse to leave, stalling what has been an aggressive effort to clear out the encampments that stretch from Fountain Valley to Anaheim. That order will stand until public officials can identify an alternative place to house those living along the river trail. The goal, the judge said, is to create a temporary answer that can eventually be fashioned into long-term housing solutions. Cliff, how big is that? As when you think about that, that when you think about that, about what this judge has done, uh, that's, to me, I believe it speaks volumes to, again, we're talking about the character of these judges. Say, look, we're not going to let you arrest these homeless people. You're going to leave them alone until some type of solution is found uh, to try to place these homeless folks somewhere. Yeah, I mean, judges have to, uh, you know, have to make judgments uh, based off of a moral compass, not just the law. I mean, it's right. one thing to say, okay, well, uh, you're in a place where you're unlawfully, you're, you're not allowed to basically camp here. Where, uh, well, I'm homeless. Mm-hmm. So what do you want me to do uh, as an alternative? What do you want me to do in the interim? Uh, what do I don't have anywhere to go? So if you if you say you can't camp here in this spot, well, I'm going to go across the street and camp there. Then what are you going to say? And it 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 takes judges with common sense right. that say, look, you know, you can't just keep relocating them because you're going to end up with the same problem. It puts a, a stress on the uh, on the police department, a stress on the the uh, you know the judicial system because these people are going to show back up in court. 
they don't have anywhere to go. So you have to commend that judge for saying, yeah. look, find the solution. Don't just uh, bring people in here with citations that you gave them. They have nowhere to go. Find a solution for it, not just give them a ticket. Well, and Judge Carter goes on to say that he doesn't want homeless people who leave the river trail for the streets to be cited, put in jail for a day, and then released only to be cited again. And that goes to your point, Cliff. And he says here, I'm tired of the paperwork and the we can't get it done nonsense, Judge Carter said. I'm looking for solutions now. And this is a judge, William, that's, that's taking it by the horns. We need to fix this problem. It's not about just arresting people. That says a lot about the judge and what he is trying to do. And again, tying up dockets with situations that are not going uh, – it's not going to help the situation, but it ties up the courts when there can be solutions found. And then also, you know, this is another example of compassion where he's sitting there saying, listen, these people are homeless. So what's the benefit of citing these people? You, now they have a legal – you know, some kind of legal actions that's going on. That's not going to make their, their situation any better. So let's get to the real root cause. Let's try to provide some kind of solution here that allows the homeless a place to, you know, to really get back on their feet. And that's really what he's looking at, that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to go in there and arrest these people, give them some kind of citation or some kind of legal reprimand, and it, it's not going to benefit them. At all, so you know this is another situation where a judge is saying, "Listen, I have the power in my hands to to help alter and change the course of these people's lives and give them opportunity." And this is a great thing. No, awesome. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this is uh, you know a lot of folks in the criminal justice system right now are discouraged because of what they have lived and what they have seen. You say this all the time when you have no matter what industry you might be in, when you have judges that don't take that oath seriously, when you have prosecutors that are overzealous prosecutors that don't take the oath seriously to seek for justice, when you have these things lined up in a time in our country where the criminal justice system uh, is at a point sometimes where people are questioning the fairness, the, the how fair is this system? We need judges like the ones we're going we're gonna to definitely highlight tonight, but judges like Frank Caprio that's on the bench that has gone. Why is his video on YouTube, why does that consistently, why is that going viral? Why are people saying he's become a household name on YouTube? Because people are saying, man, I like this judge. Yes, he's, he's, become, he's not the norm. He's, and that, 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 that is a tragedy. That, that is it. That's truly the case because what, every, every, what we're talking about is breaking down the walls and the stereotypes because when we – when in society right now, thus, that's what's happening. No, absolutely right. And uh, uh, folks, we're honored tonight as, as we talk about judges of integrity. Uh, we are privileged to have Judge Joe Brown. Folks, if you have a television set or you have one in the last 15 – uh, 20 years. You're going to know who Judge Joe Brown is. I used to watch him faithfully. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're honored to have him on this show to give his perspective. And uh, we're excited to talk to him tonight. Judge, are you there? I am here. This judge is also in the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Judge. We appreciate you being here with us and uh, taking time out of your day uh, to talk with us here as we honor uh, your service and what you've done and and we count you as what judge of integrity, uh, and we we found it fitting uh, to have you on this program tonight. We appreciate you taking time with us as we discuss this important issue 
uh, as far as judges uh, of integrity. And thank you for joining us tonight. All right. My pleasure. All right, Judge Brown. Now, I heard your discussion about what the oath meant. Yes. I found that interesting. Give me your thoughts on it. Well, what I did really didn't have anything to do with the oath. That was sort of icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. I looked at it this way. I fantasized for years about being able to make a difference. Then I grew up when I started trying to do what I needed to do to make a difference. And then some people asked me to run for office. And by that time, it wasn't a fantasy anymore. It wasn't even a desire or an urge. It became an obligation. And what that was is to function as a village chieftain. Mm-hmm. And by that, I was in the situation of being in what's now one of the largest, and in fact, I think it may be the largest predominantly black city in America. That's Memphis. And there were a lot of wrongs that were occurring on an ordinary basis around the city. So I decided to dedicate myself to righting some of those wrongs and doing what I considered to be social engineering and also to deal with the precepts of justice as something that's a pretty universal concept that is taking the standards of the society in which you live and applying those standards equally, impartially, fairly, and effectively to promote equity and justice. It's fairness and justice, and the equity comes in with being the right thing to be done in a situation where there is no formal remedy for a thing. So mm-hmm. that's what I tried to do. And judge, and that's of work. Be... Sure, go ahead. go ahead. I'll say this. It seemed to work. I had an interesting thing. I got elected to two eight-year terms. Mm-hmm. And I wound up resigning the second one to do this show. And by the time I did that, they had a 10-year study in place. And the felony recidivism rate for the state of Tennessee was basically every courtroom in the state, about 80%. In my courtroom, they were rather astonished to discover it was only 18%. And that had to do with that social engineering factor, which was using the coercive powers of the court and somebody who understood what the situation was involving the people in front of him to do remedial work and provide what was not put in their heads through their developmental period. One of the things I noticed was not what I would call a work ethic. And one of the figures that came about that I'd noticed in practicing a lot of criminal law was you tell somebody whose problems are brought about because he or she cannot be consistent in application and then expect them to suddenly develop that, it's not going to happen. So you have to use the coercive powers to make that happen and do something remedial so they become men and women. And if they become men and women, then the corrective factor is not the system. It's what they look at in the morning when they brush their teeth, comb, or brush their hair 
and shave or if their ladies put their makeup on. And that becomes the control factor that gets in their heads and say, did you do what you supposed to do yesterday or are you going to do it today or did you do something you weren't supposed to do? And see, that becomes the corrective factor. Then anyway. No, sure. No, no, on that. No, it makes, makes perfect sense, Judge. And, and I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, we, there's a lot of things. A lot of people are talking about prison reform in this country right now, the mass incarceration issues, the, the lack of faith or belief in the judicial system, whether it be judges, whether it be prosecutors. Uh, can you give me your thoughts on what brought us to this point that can be corrected, that we can restore faith oh, in no, our criminal again? What's wrong with the system can be corrected. It's first off, a lot of what's wrong with the system is our perception of what it's actually doing. See, mm-hmm. I've been working, this is a book thing I've been working on. The problem is that the criminal justice system is morphed from a device to control crime into a device to control surplus labor. And it's mm-hmm. doing that job very, very effectively. You see, the United States is about the only industrialized society that does not have a coherent governmental program to deal with the obsolescence of the ordinary worker brought about by industrial technology and computerization. So to make up for that shortage of job opportunities and income that matches the expectations of the population, we have morphed our criminal justice system so that it handles that problem. It controls surplus labor. See, surplus labor is like a commodity, wheat, corn, or cotton. And when you have a commodity glut, there are three things you usually do to address that glut. One is cut back production. Two, subsidize the would-be producer. Three, store the surplus criminal justice system stores the surplus in a jail cell instead of a grain silo. The subsidy is some form of welfare check or Section 8 subsidy. The cutting back of production is a systemic thing based on household situation, the media, the neighborhood, so that the kids drop out, bang out, drug out, get knocked up too early, too often fail to get proper education or training, have wrong ideation, wrong worldviews, wrong lifestyles, wrong way of caring self. And as soon as they get the first felony, they become pretty much permanently unemployable in ordinary circumstances. Uh, They also cause chaos in their communities, which is a convenient thing for the system because such communities then are incapable of cohesive political action, so they can't deal with that kind of collective self-help. And the rest of the good citizens are more worried about criminal behavior and their personal safety than they are about some charlatan trying to rip them off economically in favor of the select few. There's also not so much money to be made off of inmates by their labor But what happens is it's a trillion-dollar high-growth industry in supervising, transporting, feeding, providing communications for, and supervision of inmates. 
and particularly in the juvenile sector, we have privatizations of entire systems, and they become entities that are basically more interested in promoting continued chaos as a means of guaranteeing future revenue than they are to solving problems. But we need to address that, and if we start off with doing something on the legislative level about getting people integrated back into a productive economic situation, then we can do something about it. We've got a class-conscious society now where 3% of the population controls 95% of the wealth, 5% enjoy 95% of the wealth, and 5% of the population has to split just 5% of the I mean, 95% of the population has to split just 5% of the wealth. It's inequitous, and it's, it's bad. We have a general systemic thing of hedonism rather than purpose. You give somebody a purpose or a cause, they stay focused. Right now, what people are acculturated and socialized to do in large part by the media and other institutions is do your thing, do what you want to do rather than what you ought to do and what you should do. Enough on that, but that's a synopsis. Well, hey, I'll tell you what, you you are uh, putting some information, knowledge down to our listeners, but it it is so true. If you step back and take a look at what this system has become, uh, the judge hits it, Judge Brown hits it right on the nail. Uh, Comment, I'll tell you what, let me me say this. Judge Brown, and I'm going to ask you this question. You were known as a tough love judge in your courtroom. You, you, You put it down sometimes that people were like, man. Does Judge Brown uh, care? Uh, how did you attain that reputation? But I think people ultimately oh, they, they was came thankful, to the point, thankful. look, yeah. Judge Brown ain't going to sugarcoat anything. No. He's going to tell me like it is. I saw that firsthand on that show. Judge, how did you deal with that? Uh, did it, you ever hear back from people who said, Judge, thanks for taking that stand with me. It kind of affected my life. Did you get comments like that? Well, it's kind of funny that you ask. It just happened to me um, day before yesterday, somebody walked up to me outside of a restaurant and said, do you remember me, Judge? I said, no, I don't. So, well, you gave me some time. I said, well, did I give you enough? He said, no, no, no. He just said, that, that man thing, I thought you were crazy, but now I'm a grandfather and, you know, I want to thank you for straightening me out. It took a while, but you just stayed on my behind until I got it. And that time that you were walking through, remember over in Foot Homes? I said, I was over there walking around a lot. He said, you snatched me and told me I had to be back in your courtroom uh, 10 o'clock on Tuesday for being out after you told me. One of my homeboys came up wanting to get in your face, and you kind of jacked him up. You got him and about eight or nine of my homies out there. The sun was coming up. You were still talking to us in the morning, and you were holding it down. So, like, yeah. that impressed the devil out of me because I never associated, you know, that kind of thing of being able to hold it down like that, which, you know, being able to be someplace where you went to work every day with a suit and tie on. Sure. Well, but you said then that. You, you, yeah. yeah. No, go ahead, please. See, see, that kind of thing is what I did. 
Um, it's like it's an attitude, and it's also a perspective. Like you are the judge, but you're something else. You also right. become the father. So what mm-hmm. does dad do a lot of around the household? He keeps order around the household. Uh, he walks in the front door from work, and mother says, do you know what that son of yours has done? Says, no, what did he do? All right, boy, come here. Give me that belt. You know the yeah. one. Bring it in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, come here. You knew what you were going to get when you did it. Look at that yeah. wall. Grab your head. Grab your knees. Don't eyeball me. You're getting 10. See, that's what he did when you got that no hard feelings. I actually had a situation that was kind of funny. The wardens used to remark on it. I'd go to a, a, a facility, a penitentiary, or a jail, and I'd get a standing ovation by some of the people I put in there because I'd come out there and work with them on the manhood thing. Sure. I would not just leave it at what happened in the court. It's something where I would go to the unions and say, look, now you're worried about these people taking your jobs. Why are you worried about that when you can make some of them your apprentices wind up collecting union dues and having them good union members? Oh, that's okay. I hadn't thought of that way. Let's set up some apprenticeship programs. I'll sit there and try to channel them into some things before I let them back out on the suspension of remainder of sentence where they can get some basic preparation. And I gave everybody a key that if I sentenced them to the local workhouse rather than to the state penitentiary, you get your GED. And if you had a drug program, to take step six in the drug program, and I invite you back in, I'll let you back out. You might That's not awesome. like what you have to do, but you'll be breathing free air. And, okay, we are got to set up some programs with some of these junior colleges. I know you've got unused classrooms. I'm looking right at them. We can set something up. And over here, you've got a problem that you have. We can get you some labor that can come in and you can train up and they will be very glad to work for you and they will be loyal employees because I will be jacking them up if they aren't. Absolutely. Between what you can do as Big Daddy with business, industry, the unions, the educational institutions, you could put together a pretty good thing. But see, you know, right now we've got a problem in this area. We have fewer black judges than we had 20 years ago. We've got one real good one, and the rest of what we've got on the bench, they were some people that weren't very good prosecutors, and I suspected that the reason they got into prosecution is they got run home from school too often, and... <laughs> They didn't like black people, and it was their mission in life to, you know, control the varmints so they didn't eat the farmers' crops up or uh, harm too many of the ranchers' livestock, and we were the varmints. Wow. It's a problem. Now, here we have the largest predominantly black city in America, and the Justice Department says we give out the stiffest sentences for simple possession of marijuana in the country. We've got a DA on the bench. Uh, it's a female. She's white, Republican. They're grooming her to try and be the first female governor of the state of Tennessee. But 
I can remember her on the beginning of her career. She came in my courtroom asking that I take a transfer for a quick guilty plea on a minor drug offense because her judge was in trial. So I said I'd take the plea, and I listened to it. And it was a wealthy white girl and a wealthy young white guy, and they were null processing the charges against the girl, and they wanted this guy to get one year suspended, upfront probation, unsupervised, or judicial diversion, and have his record expunged at the end of the year. Well, I didn't go ahead and take it completely. I said, we'll have a hearing. They objected to that, but I had the hearing. I noticed that nobody mentioned any drugs, a quantity of drugs, so I had one of my bailiffs bring a lieutenant from Metro Narco down, and we talked about the case. You know what they were trying to give this sentence to somebody for? For four and a half kilos of cocaine, a pound of 95% pure heroin, 800 doses of crystal meth, about 400 of LSD, God knows a couple of thousand qualus that they caught this fool with. They'd been working on him for three years to get him. And that's what this person was going to let them go for. Wow. And this is the person that's the head DA now. And we've got a problem here, and I suspect you have it in a lot of places. I don't buy this to Russians controlling the machines on Election Day, but what we do have is corruption with some of these electronic voting machines. And as a matter of fact, uh, it's published what the encryption key is to the local voting machines, and it's out there. And the Justice Department put up the money 10 years ago to replace all these machines, but to show you that justice is not just within the court system, all we need is a simple majority resolution by our local county commission to replace the machines, but... For the last 10 years, every time it's come up four or five times a year, we've had at least three different African-American Democrats vote against it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you see, this kind of thing is not good, and that woman should not be in there. Our county has an interesting thing. Memphis has only 19.1% of the registered voters are white, and in the county it's only 239 but that's what we've got for a DA. We've never had a black DA in the history of Memphis. We've never had a black sheriff in the history of Memphis. Wow. So you've got a minority controlling things. You've got a minority imposing the stiffest sentences in the country uh, for simple possession of marijuana. And we have another problem here, which is the Justice Department says even though they are vastly more black people than white in this county the number of arrests are about 50 50 for possession white and black but 95 percent of the people convicted are black i've got a one black family on my street and they live next door to another white family and both boys went to germantown high school here they both played football the white kids driving brother was in the car with him he got in the back seat to pick up another white kid they went out and partied he fell asleep in the back uh the young white driver made a turn without signaling they got pulled over found two joints or two roaches in the ash tree up front they took the two white kids about 
two miles away to the local city court, and they took the young black kid 26 miles to the county juvenile court. The two white kids, when they came up on the first appearance with their parents, they got lectured sternly and got assessed about $280 court cost, and that was the end of the matter. year and a half later, down at the local juvenile court, which is privatized, you had a situation where this young black kid who's got all kinds of pending scholarships, his career is getting ruined for him because they won't let him go, and the parents have spent seven, $8,000 out of pocket. Wow. And they wanted him tried as an adult, and all they found him was was in the back seat of the car, no criminal record, had a, a an A average in high school, was a football player, starting football player, had a great future in front of him, but they're trying to ruin it. Wow. Well, you understand, Judge, uh, when you have things like that, this is what brings the question. And, Judge, Judge Brown, bear with me here. Uh, we're also joined right now by the Honorable James DeLeon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He, a judge out of Philadelphia Municipal Court. Correct. Judge, are you there? Gentlemen, how is everybody? We're good. I'll tell you what, we're getting some information uh, getting schooled here by Judge Brown. I'll tell you what, he's putting it down information our listeners need to hear. We're, we're, we're thankful that you're joining us as well, Judge. Judge Brown, he's going to join the conversation with us. Uh, and Judge DeLeon, sure. give us your thoughts of what you've heard thus far. Well, I, I heard uh, Judge Brown for the last 10 minutes, and, and I agree with Judge Brown. He's, he's, he's a, a recognized and noted jurist, and he's very great on the bench. He, he has a, a very good uh, background, and, and he speaks the truth. So everything that I've heard Judge Brown said has been um, uplifting to me, and, and I take it to my heart. That's awesome. And, Thank uh, you, sir. <laughs> and, and Judge Brown, if you heard the beginning, he said he wanted to make a difference. Uh, and Judge, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, you, you, it strikes me one of a, of a trailblazer uh, for the upcoming judges that come after you. And, and that type of accolade uh, that Judge uh, DeLeon just gave you, uh, I, I say you're making an impact and you're making a difference, Judge Brown, and that, that's awesome. Thank you, sir. Yes. I yes, had Judge a, Brown is I had a, a difference. I had a battle with Hollywood for 15 years because I kept putting duty, honor, obligation, responsibility, accountability, courage, and bravery to the forefront front um, protecting womanhood, promoting manhood. And almost every tape session I had was a battle with these Hollywood folk about why are you saying these kind of things? Why can't people just do what they want to do? Why do they have to have responsibility? Have you run into that judge where you get that kind of feedback from the wrong uh, people out in the community about they just don't get the idea of raising their children or anything else where there are standards in order. Yes, I, I get that. I've had some pretty noteworthy cases myself. Um, here in Philadelphia, I had the, um, I had every single protester uh, that protested during the Republican national convention back in 2001. I had the uh, Allen Iverson case. Uh, back at that time as well And each of those cases Were national And they were noteworthy And 
at that time I was running for the uh, Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. And when I campaigned across the state of Pennsylvania, people were coming to me and they were saying, we're so glad that there was a judge that heard our children's case that believed in the Constitution and the law and did, did not want to just pigeon-toe them as, as protesters and was listening to the law itself when you pass the decision. And the reality was I had over 400 protesters, and every single one of them was found not guilty. Um, basically, it was a freedom of speech issue. It was a First Amendment issue, and I was happy for that. And with uh, Mr. Iverson, basically it dealt with just listening to the evidence and making a decision as to whether or not the Commonwealth had made their case out against him. And at the end of it, I felt that the Commonwealth made one of the charges out, which was terroristic threats, but all the other charges as far as him having a gun having um, other types of issues, they did not make out. And based on me holding him only on terroristic threats, the district attorney withdrew that charge against him. And as we know, Mr. Iverson went on to be elected to the NBA Hall of Fame. So Mm -hmm. judges, we uh, we have to, as Judge Brown said, we have to listen, and, and we have to make a determination based on the law and the Constitution. And as we know, the, constitu- the law is blind. And when I look at a defendant, I really look at a citizen of the United States who has been accused of a crime. And it's up to the Commonwealth to chip away his constitutional uh, issues as to whether or not they deserve to have that citizen tried on those charges. Right. Well, look, I'll tell you what, and, and, and both of you uh, speak very clearly to what it, – it's good to hear of the fairness. I think in our court system today, uh, a lot of those things have been lost along the way. The, the fair uh, application of law, the fair open field on both sides, that you have an opportunity to present a case, to defend that case, and to prosecute that case, and to be treated fairly. Uh, what I'm hearing from Judge Brown, this is something that I believe he did. And from what you say about you, you thought about the evidence, the things that matter, uh, I think some people have lost their way on that. Uh, right now, judges, we got a, a caller that has a comment. We're going to come back with you for comment here momentarily. Cliff? Yeah, this uh, question is for Judge Brown. Uh, Judge, we have a listener out of uh, L.A. You know, we know you from Crenshaw District. His name is Daryl, and he has a question for you. Uh, Daryl, go ahead. You're live. Hey, good evening, gentlemen, Judge Brown and Judge DeLeon and the host. I'm calling from New Orleans, Louisiana. That's the LA I'm calling from, Louisiana, New Orleans. And my question for Judge Brown, Judge Brown in New Orleans, I would say more so since after Hurricane Katrina, a good number of the prostitution arrests are of girls from Memphis. And I was curious enough to know whether you had an idea of what might be happening in Memphis because, I mean, a lot of the girls that come in as exotic dancers or they strictly walk the street, but there are Memphis girls, a whole lot of them, and they have bought, they have brought here a lot of the pimp activity and things that we really didn't see on that level prior to Hurricane Katrina. And I was just curious enough to know if you had an idea of what might be happening 
in Memphis with this and how it's being exported out of Memphis to places like New Orleans. Uh, oh, boy. So, <laughs> <laughs> let me give you some background on that just very briefly. At one time, I used to get a lot of the rent paid because I had a lot of clientele that were pimps and hoes. Memphis used to have some of the worst pimps in America. I can remember some of them would pay me to hop on a plane and associate local council in various states because they'd gone to the states and run the pimps off of the corner and taken their ladies over. There is something about this place that is productive of that. I think I know what it is. It is the general atmosphere around here. And I have a theory about that, just very briefly. Pimps can't really turn a chick into a hoe. But sometimes, and I really, this is really crazy, the churches can. Briefly, people want to be accepted as they perceive themselves. And some people in Memphis is a bad place for this. Uh, negate what somebody's self-worth is. It's whether it's grandmama being told she's a no guy, no good, low down sinner, she's wrong, she's going to hell, but for. And when the preacher chastises her, it is what it is, but if she sells $5 more cake in a bake sale than somebody else, she gets up on the pulpit and gets recognized. Well, prostitute has a negative concept of self and when the pimp tells us she's no good, ugly, stupid and all the rest of this she says he sees me like I really am and he knows that I'm a bad person so when he jacks me up I deserve it and he keeps me in line and the thing about Memphis is is that they have a very bad culture around here where people brag about tithing 20-25% of their income even if they can't afford that. And the girls from around here are used to being taken places where the preacher on the pulpit passes the plate four, five, six times during a service. They get hit up on Monday Wednesday and Thursday for Bible study, Tuesday and Friday for choir practice, and then at church all day. So they're used to giving the money up. So they are in good position to have that happen. And I used to have more pimps 35, 40 years ago tell me that they thank some of the preachers for making some of these girls such good prospective hoes because they conditioned them. And well, I hate to and, say that, sure. but and, that and, is one of the reasons you may have so many down there because they come out of Memphis with that mindset. Well, and, it sounds and like me, an iceberg slim issue. Say that again. It sounds like I an said, iceberg slim I, issue. Listen, well, okay. yeah, see, pimp, iceberg slim. Yeah, I, I, I even met him at one time. But see, I represented a lot of them, and I'll tell you this. Some of the lowest people on the planet 
just slightly above pedophiles or pimps. Sure. And I'll tell you what, to the to the gentleman's question in regards to why crime it, it goes here or goes there, uh, some of those answers you just don't have. You don't have those answers. The, the fact that a culture, as Judge Brown alluded to here, and every city has its own individual culture. Uh, but I think getting back to why the impact and what judges are doing from the bench, whether it's prostitution uh, charges that are, are presented before judges in their courtrooms, how are, how are these prostitutes dealt with? Are they given opportunity to get off the streets? These are things, and this is just reality, folks. In every city in this country, uh, that's just one of the things, whether it's prostitution, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's opiate addiction, whether it's gang life, whatever you find to be an issue, uh, this is what these judges have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I'll tell you what, Judge Brown, we want to be respectful of your time. We're going to take a quick break. If you can come back, that's fine with us. Uh, Okay, that's fine. Okay, and and Judge uh, uh, DeLeon, we're going to come back and get some perspective of Philadelphia. What's going on down there? You've you alluded already to the Allen Iverson case, uh, some of the things that you've had to deal with. And see, we're going to get to some key points there. Uh, we're going to be joined by another judge here shortly, which will probably join the panel. Folks, this is in- information that we need to know. We appreciate you judges taking time tonight to talk with us and talk to our audience as we honor judges of integrity. And I'll tell you what. The conversation and the stuff that the crime and things that are out there, these judges see, they're not always pleasant to look at, but you got to look at them. And I'll tell you what, I think every person in this country, uh, I'll tell you what, has an opportunity, whether, whether it's prostitution, whether it's drug addiction, whether it's crime, gang life, you have an opportunity to change your life and turn it around for the better. And that's what this show is about tonight. Judges of Integrity dealing with the tough issues. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. 
It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is in need of reform. tragedies have to stop. There must be accountability. Black, white, brown. We are one. We are one. One. We will not stick to sports. We will not shut up and dribble. This is bigger than basketball. Change can be uncomfortable. Change is necessary. We need to talk. We need to act. We matter. We must unite. Say his name. Stephon Clark. Stephon Clark. We must unite. We have a big problem and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight is no exception, as we have started what we call 
Judges of Integrity series as we have an opportunity to hear from judges all across this nation. And I'll tell you what, folks, we've been definitely informed tonight by Judge Joe Brown and Judge James DeLeon, who have actually brought to light uh, some things as we talk about the criminal justice system, we talk about culture, we talk about in and everything, as we've had an opportunity to talk about those topics tonight. And very special thanks for these judges joining us tonight. We appreciate uh, you taking time out of your schedule to be part of this program as we get ready to get into another point of conversation. Thanks for joining us, judges. All right. Okay, and, and I want to pose this question to both of you if I can. Uh, as you know, there's a huge issue right now uh, with the immigration issue, kids separating, being separated from their parents uh, at the border. Uh, a lot of people are chiming in, judges, clergy, uh, prosecutors, attorneys, you name it. People, the American people are chiming in on this conversation that from what I'm finding out and what I've done in a little bit of research, we're going to be doing a show on it next Tuesday uh, on this issue. I'd like to get both of your thoughts individually, if I can, on this issue. How do you see it? Um, a lot of people are torn in this nation right now, but they're leaning towards you cannot mess with the children. And I think that's what people are really outraged about right now. I'm going to start with you first, Judge uh, DeLeon, and then Judge Brown, I'm going to come to you. Judge, Judge what are your thoughts on this? You have to be careful in this particular area. Um, Judge Brown, let me just, I just wanted to tell him, because it's an open case, and aspects of that case might come in front of sitting state judges for determination. So if a judge, if he gives his opinion, then he's um, precluding himself from from ruling on any issues that might come before him. Okay. Okay, so that's not a subject we can get into based upon the pending situation as it is right now. Not it's, for yeah, me, it's, though. It's, a, it's a hot iron. Okay. Well, Judge I'm Brown, Brown can, yeah, Judge okay. Brown I, can will speak read you, I will okay. read you a very short letter. I can't reveal who I got it from, and I'll okay. leave certain things out, but here's interesting. Okay. This woman writes me this letter. She says, after I got my first back surgery, I was able to get low-income housing in a brand-new apartment complex since I had virtually no income at that point. I was the only African-American. Everyone else was Hispanic, many of whom had entered illegally from Mexico. Those who were caught came back because their employers here paid a coyote to get them back in. This was what they told me. Some of my neighbors use their children's names and social security numbers who were born here when they were caught driving drunk or or traffic tickets or traffic violations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There was many a morning that I found the N-word written on my door because I, quote, was rich and fancy and taking the place of a relative who needed the apartment. Whenever I traveled or considered usual citizenship with a usual with another country, I committed or entered another company country. I committed the proper paperwork. I don't think that Trump was totally wrong on detaining the people who illegally came over to the U.S. And furthermore, I know what he's talking about with all of this thing about the children, because a lot of these children were born here to illegal parents and they become what they told me were anchors. 
I thought the treatment that they gave the African-American tenants of this building was very unfair, and it did not reflect upon a way that I would want to be treated if I were in a compromised position. Just my thoughts. I realize I'm in a minority. So that's just another side of the picture. It goes on. I won't go into it, but... Right. One thing that I have, remember I mentioned early, was equity. Mm -hmm. I think one of the abiding principles that should be in the whole thing with immigration law is that unless there was some overwhelming diplomatic purpose, the practices of the country where the immigrants or the influx is coming from should also be examined. And we should not give any better treatment to the people who come in than they would give us if we went. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Um, Wow. Judge? So, in other words, we might want to look at Mexico's own immigration laws and see what they do. And if ours are more generous than theirs, we might want to figure out why, and if they are, we have to make a determination on whether we want to keep them that way, and if they're more draconian laws the other way around, we need to consider that, too. I know you can't get a government job in Mexico unless your grandparents were Mexican citizens. I know you are not allowed to work on a regular basis unless you have something similar to that status. So it seems mm-hmm. to me that a lot of flack might be able to be avoided if it was just take their rules and apply it to those who come from that place, since if an American citizen went there, they would get treated in a certain way. And, and, uh, well, and, uh, yeah. That's we always have to remember that we are America. We are the melting pot of the world. And we are the ones that said, give us your poor, your tired, your, your individuals learning to be free. So we have to maintain our American principles. That's the fight that's going on right now. The fight that's going on right now is, what do we stand for as Americans? What does our past and our future hold for us and those that come to our shore? So at, a, at this moment, there is a wide issue going on in the United States that will come to a head probably in the next week or two, and it's going to define us as Americans. Um, If we're going to take a look at how other countries treat us, then we will be turning ourselves away from who we are because we have always been a person, we've always been people who, regardless of how other people have treated us, we try to treat everyone with fairness, and we try to have our borders open for those who are being persecuted in other lands. So it's, it's a big issue, and... We just have to watch and see how our leaders react to the situation. No, absolutely right. I agree. That's not a bad point. That's not a bad point at all. 
I would just say that if we have rules about how one becomes a legal immigrant, then what we ought to do is stick to those rules. You see, in other words, if I want to go in the border of another country and I get the customs when I enter, I got to show my passport. You have to show your passport. Right. Well, I'll tell you what. What's wrong with us doing it? Oh, no, absolutely right. Um, And it's it's an emotional... See, if I come back to America, I have to show my passport. If I try to subvert going through customs and take a shortcut out and avoid it, I go to jail. I'm an American citizen. I'm born here. This is my country. But if I go to jail for violating the laws, why does a stranger get to get away with them? Well, and... and and, and that's a point that that uh, that folks are taking. Uh, I understand that point. I think I don't even think it's the point that people are uh, outraged with that. Uh, that is just the rule of law. Uh, I don't think that's the the outcry of the American people right now. I think the outcry of the American people are the images of kids in cages. And if there's a way to do it differently, if you have to do that and you want to enforce that policy as the president uh, and his administration has chosen to do so, there's a way to do it that does not, there is a reason that has hit a nerve in this country. I was looking at it on the news today, and the Secretary uh, Nielsen made the statement, oh, this is just equivalent to summer camp. Well, it looked like county lockup to me. Uh, It didn't look like summer camp at all. Uh, And I think people are outraged, I think, for the lack of sensitivity to the issue um, and I think the points that you and Judge uh, DeLeon make are, are valid points. Uh, and the points is clear. America has always been a place uh, of, of, for the refuge, for the, a, re- a place of refuge for those that, whether they're abused in their countries, whether they're escaping death, running for their lives, it can go back and forth as far as the discussion. But uh, we're going to see how this plays out. And uh, I appreciate, again, the perspective that you brought to it tonight. Judge Brown, you've been on here the longest with us. We want to be very respectful of your time. We have been privileged and honored uh, to have you on this show tonight and uh, appreciate the, the, the work that you do, uh, what you continue to do. You've left an imprint uh, without question uh, on our criminal justice system, and it's something that, that should definitely be saluted. Uh, and it's something that even some comments on uh, social media um, I mean, they're talking about, you know, Judge Brown, thank you for setting the bar high. Uh, and that comes from Chester Davis on, on I believe, on Twitter. Uh, we got comments on Facebook uh, that talks about uh, what you have done. Thank you for your service and standing up for those who did not have a voice. That comes from social media. So, Judge Brown, you said you wanted to make an impact. You're making one. People are talking about you. They're talking about the stand you took and the story that you told uh, in regards that the guy said, hey, you, you you gave me some time, and he finally came to the conclusion, you know what, I, I, thank God I walked down that road because, hey, like you said, Judge, uh, he's breathing free air now. Uh, he has a reason to be happy, and perhaps your, your direction pointed him in the right way, and we appreciate all that you've done for this country uh, at, at your post what you, and what you continue to be an example of true justice. We appreciate that. Did you have any closing comments you wanted to make before we uh, go to the next segment? Well, kind of a weird closing comment I just found out something I just got told I got a granddaughter congratulations Congratulations. 
Congratulations on that. That's beautiful. Judge. Thank you. Awesome. Well, what a way to to uh, to close out on this. Uh, that's good news. Uh, Judge, thank you. You have a good rest of your night, and uh, we look forward, hopefully, to working with you and joining with us again. Anytime you need a platform, you have it here at AJC Radio, and we appreciate you so very much. Enjoy that that new yeah. grandbaby. So let me say, oh. Judge Graham, you're a titan in American jurisprudence. Why, thank you very much, everybody. You have a great day. Great okay. evening, I guess it is. Sun is down most places, except on the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Judge. We appreciate All you. All right. We look forward to talking All to right. you. All right. Have a good You too. Take care. Judge, uh, there you got Judge Joe Brown, 15 seasons on TV with that judge, uh, with his show uh, on television. We appreciate his perspective tonight. And Judge DeLeon, are you, yeah, he's a, he's a good judge. Are you want to stay with us? We're going to bring on uh, Judge Hunter uh, here momentarily. Are you, going to, are you going to stay for that conversation uh, for a little bit? and then we can I, can get stay your... for, I can stay for a little bit. Okay, just, let, just kind of give me a heads up. I'll kind of come back to you and say, hey, hey uh, Judge, we can let you loose and, uh, so you can enjoy your evening. You guys have brought a, a clear perspective to the show. We appreciate it so much. We understand you guys are more than busy and more, than, more busy than most, so we appreciate you taking time tonight. We, we really do. Um, oh, you're, joining, you're doing a great service for this country, too. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. We all appreciate that here at AJC Radio and Just Cause. Uh, right now, we're honored to bring on in the conversation – uh, Judge Arthur Hunter, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the floor. Uh, he's got some, some good, good points he's gonna make, and, and I'm pretty sure him and Judge DeLeon are gonna uh, definitely have some of the same views. Judge Hunter, are you with us? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you, uh, Judge. Thanks okay. for your patience as, as we are uh, we run a little bit over tonight, but we appreciate you uh, being patient with us as we uh, honor uh, our uh, Judges of Integrity series. Uh, we do that once a month here. And you and Judge DeLeon and Judge Joe Brown fit the mold for that. And we appreciate uh, you taking some time to be with us tonight. I'm going to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself uh, to our listeners, and we will get into the dialogue. Go ahead, sir. Uh, uh, thanks for inviting me, uh, uh, particularly to Olivia, uh, yes. for uh, sending me an email to, to uh, join you guys uh, tonight. Um, again, I'm Judge Arthur Hunter. I've been on the bench in criminal district court uh, in New Orleans, which is all these parish uh, since 1996. Um, before that, I was uh, practicing attorney, and before that, I was a uh, New Orleans police officer, and I went to law school at Loyola while I was on the uh, pol- police force. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and so I've been, uh, um, you know, lis- uh, listening to what you were, were saying earlier uh, as well. But and uh, you know I've been on the bench uh, ever since 1996 for the last 22 years. Oh, so you you've seen a lot over those uh, over those years without question. Uh, let me ask you a question, Judge Hunter and and Judge uh, DeLeon. You, you could both of you guys can kind of comment on this and uh, your thoughts here. We, we talked about earlier uh, in regards to our criminal justice system right now. We know mass incarceration uh, is an issue uh, and. Prison reform is now being talked about more uh, through our organization. We've had an opportunity to definitely talk about this with lawmakers on Capitol Hill uh, and get into discussion of what is the next step. Prison reform, people being locked up for no uh, unlawful reason, uh, the African-American population in the penitentiary 
continues to grow. Our school to prison pipeline continues to grow. I want to get both of your thoughts on this and how do we turn the corner and somehow restore faith into this system that is somehow has fallen off the track? Judge, uh, well, I'll get to first. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Judge, you can say something. Oh, okay. Um, Apologies. I, what? Well, I think basically um, you have to start, when you're talking about the criminal justice system or the criminal legal system, you have to start with the person who has the power in the criminal legal system, and that's the district attorney. Um, it, I believe if you have a district attorney uh, that's progressive, um, that uh, knows the law and, and, and has common sense, and and has programs in which in which you can reduce uh, incarceration, such as diversion programs uh, for those who suffer from mental health, uh, from drug abuse, uh, and and also having also having programs for uh, reentry, uh, veterans and veterans treatment course as well. Uh, you can definitely divert those nonviolent offenders uh, to those programs because most of most people who get arrested in this country for nonviolent offenses. Most people are in jail for nonviolent offenses. So if we could uh, uh, strike a path uh, to dealing with dealing with that issue uh, with common sense, progressive, and being practical, and bringing everyone to the table, um, not just the judge, but also the district attorney, the public defender, the private defense attorney, social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists as well, uh, we can definitely... Uh, Reduce the number of people who are in jail. Okay, Judge Damian, you. Well, I've written a book called Operation Fresh Start, which um, is a roadmap on how to alleviate recidivism and augment the reintegration of returning citizens into society. Um, it's been getting a lot of um, a lot of accolades here in Philadelphia. We do have a progressive district attorney here um, named Larry Krasner, and his wife is a, a judge here in Philadelphia as well. And we've been working together on a city council committee for, for the reform of criminal justice here in Philadelphia. And there are a lot of judges here in Philadelphia who also have been writing programs themselves, but I'm the first one that's come out with a book. And I have been... Um, partnering with the uh, Greaterford State Correctional Institute Lifers to, um, for a public safety initiative. I've had a program called the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Initiative that's out of the prison. I have a German Workforce Skills Initiative that comes out of the prison and a Crime Victims Compensation Fund Scholarship Program that, um, that also goes along with the prison. And I've worked with the, um, the governor here in Pennsylvania. We have, uh, we have a program that I gave the lieutenant governor called Pathways to Pardons, where people who want to go through with pardons, they go through their state senator, and they put in a special pardon petition that goes through the, senator, the state senator's office, and it goes directly to the Board of Pardons and Parole, and it's, um, it's a fast track where they're looked upon favorably uh, um, for pardons because we realize that pardons and expungements are a necessity because here in Philadelphia we have over 176,000 people who have criminal records 
and we have to cut into that. We have to get we have to get as many people back into society uh, as possible with clean records. We have to recover as many people as we can. So my book has been getting a lot of push here in Philadelphia and across the state of Pennsylvania, and it's been really getting around the um, the world, truthfully. So. That's a little part that I have, and if any of you want to have a copy of it, just give me an address and I'll send it to you. And yeah, Judge, Judge, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Judge, uh, please send me a copy because I may I may want to add a few more chapters of uh, a couple of programs I have. Uh, we started a reentry program in 2010 in which we sent nonviolent offenders uh, to Angola uh, Penitentiary. And while they're there for a minimum of two years, they obtain a high SAT, which used to be a GED, and a skilled trade. And when I talk about a skilled trade, I'm talking about plumbing, AC work, carpentry, uh, culinary, um, welding, uh, and, and those programs. And they have to have two certifications. And they are taught by the lifers who are there. And these lifers are just that, lifers, people who have committed murder, been there for armed robbery and what have you. And they are teaching them the hard skills of the skilled trade, but also the soft skills, getting their minds right, teaching them how to uh, react uh, in, in, in certain situations, making sure they know how to balance a checkbook, making sure they know how to report to work on time, making sure they make they are they become good fathers. And after they uh, graduate after two years, they are placed on probation. They have a job waiting for them. They have housing waiting for them, and they have to report to me on on, on a monthly basis. And they also have their own case management probation officers. You know, we also started a program last year, too, with a local community college, Delgado Community College, in which I offer probation. As a condition of probation, they can attend Delgado uh, Community College and obtain a certified workforce uh, certification or a two-year degree, and the charges will be dismissed. And we're also bringing that to uh, juvenile court and to our, the Youth Study Center, which is a the local uh, prison for uh, of juvenile offenders in New Orleans, and so and we're also, doing similar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's Does awesome. that and lead to? Um, do these programs lead to expungement or pardons? Well, they, they can lead to expungement, but in the Dalgado Ford program, if you complete it, I'll dismiss the charges. But you know what? And Judge? then they can have yeah. from their record. So they can expunge their record. They can have the record expunged. Oh. Okay. And yeah, listen, Judge, we, that definitely. Mm-hmm. And I'll send it to you. You're in New Orleans, Judge Hunter, so yeah. I, I, it's easy to get your address. I, I'll send it. I'll put it out uh, this week. Good. And, and when I get it, I'm going to copy everything in it and call it mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I already copy wrote. It's too late for that. <laughs> well, listen, listen, and, and, and let me make this point to our listeners for what these judges are doing. I'm going to tell awesome. you right now, uh, that's not happening. Uh, in a lot of places, that's not happening. But it tells me, and we, this is what we said earlier on the program, you have to be a judge that knows how not only to give penalty, but to find solutions and other doors that perhaps these offenders will not return, uh, will not come back. And I'm telling you, that's, a, that's just like, hey, here's the key to your new car. Just drive it. And obey the obey the speed limit, and you can go. And that's what I get a sense from um, uh, Judge Hunter, Judge Dalyon Systems here. That is overwhelming because it does not happen. But it tells you 
when in any state you go to, it's called the Department of Corrections. I think we left that a long time ago to the Department of Warehousing. No, the Department of Corrections says we want to correct you. And I think when judges are willing to step out, as you two have done and as other judges, I'm sure Judge Brown and, and, and other judges across this country do, uh, that sends a sense of hope for someone that could be definitely going to the alternative of the penitentiary and uh, versus going to some of these programs. Cliff? Yeah. You're, those programs. you're exactly right. I mean, go ahead, look Judge. at it like this. Okay, look at it like this. Say in Philadelphia, we have um, in the state system in Philadelphia 190 judges. Now, it's not just 190 judges, but that's 190 doctors. Okay? So why are not, as doctors, we have, we have, we have a duty to come to solutions on problems. And, right. and for us not to come to a solution, we're, we're neglecting what we are. We're doctors of law. We're not just on the bench to, 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 to rule on an individual as to his freedom or as to his incarceration or as to innocence or guilt, but we have to come to a conclusion. We have to come with ideas on how can we make our society better. Because we have learned minds. There are 190 learned minds on the bench. So we have to focus on more than just innocence or guilt, right or wrong. We have to focus on how can we alleviate some of these issues in society because we're trained for that. Yeah, and I agree with the judge. Um, You know, and I tell people, you know, uh, if you want, you know, this is not about being a bleeding heart liberal. This is about being smart on crime. And I tell right. people, if you want more bang for your tax dollars, you know, whether you want somebody to go to jail for five years, ten years, sit on sit on a bunk and watch TV and come out worse. All you want someone to go there, right. uh, become educated as much as they can, be, uh, pick up a skill trade, come out of there working, and maybe even have if you have enough gumption, starting your own business. Those are those are the people. That's what reentry is about. Uh, in Europe, uh, uh, certain places, certain countries in Europe, their correction system begins with the word reentry because as soon as they enter into this confined space where they're going, they're preparing them to be released. In the United States, 96% of the people who are arrested, who are in jail, in prison, will be released. 96 to 97% will be released. So how do you want them released? in the same predicament in which they went in, and maybe even worse, are coming out a better person ready to reenter society as a better person, a better person for themselves, a better person for their family, a better person for their neighborhood, a better person for their city. And it all goes to exactly. the quality of life. That's awesome. Uh, that's Cliff, you had a No, I'm sorry, Judge. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that's exactly correct. Okay. Uh, Cliff, you yeah, had a question? You know, well, no, it's just that um, – one of the things that um, Judge Hunter and myself um, have found out is that these lifers, they know they made a mistake, but they want to see other people not come down that same road that they came down. And you'll find out that a lot of these lifers in, in, in Pennsylvania at Greaterford, there are a lot of lifers that are in there for murder that since they've been in there, they now have PhDs. They have masters. They're doctors. And they don't want to see um, people come that same road. They, even though they know they are not able to get out, 
they still want to make sure that no one comes in like they came in. And it sounds like that's the exact same thing that Judge Hunter is finding out. Yeah, believe it or not, Judge, uh, that was one of the consequences that I did not uh, realize until we were at a conference. And we brought a couple of those lifers to the conference to speak to the people. And and they said they said that they were actually mentoring and teaching the sons that they cannot teach or did not teach when they were out in the free world. You know, so it it helps them as well uh, to do that. If they can turn someone around, uh, because yeah. at Angola, most of the people at Angola are there for life. These kids when the reentry program have a chance to go to Angola and leave. <laughs> most people do not, and, and right. so you know they are they you know they are more than helpful more than available, um, and, and, and really have a good conscience about teaching these kids, you know, how to not get back into the streets and, and really to get their minds right. Well, it gives them a sense of purpose is, is what I'm hearing. Cliff, you had a comment or a question? Yeah, I was just going to say not only does it give them a sense of purpose, uh, but, but uh, what you guys are doing, judges, is that you not only have said, okay, we're going to force the, um, you know, we're going to force the system, the, you know, incarceration, the correction system, we're going to force it to work the way that, uh, that, that basically it was set up to work. But also you take away the excuses from anyone who says, uh, you know, well, I got locked up, so now I can't get a job. I got locked up. I don't have a chance of getting my, uh, getting my record cleared. I'm locked up. Everybody's against me. The whole system is against me. Nobody's on my side. There's nothing that I can do except go back and commit crime. And, and that's where we have the recidivism rate. You guys have basically with these programs that you've implemented saying, look, we're not even giving you that excuse. We're going to help you so much that we will allow you to get your record expunged. And it is unheard of. Uh, I mean, I have never heard of a program that says uh, if you don't want to get locked up, you want the charges dropped, go get a two-year degree and I'll drop the charges on you. That program right there, if we could get that implemented uh, at every community college and in, in, in every community where education is an issue and every community where, where crime is rampant, that opportunity was available, so especially young minority men to say you don't have to go to the street. You don't have to go the quote-unquote hustle route to be able to become, you know, feel like you're a viable member of society. That program right there, awesome. I mean, they should put your name on a plaque. You, you belong up on Route, uh, Mount Rushmore, I'm telling you. Because well, that's huge. That's what we're doing. But it's not, it's not just for the, the, the degree. It's also for um, if, if, they, if they can come out with a small business. It's also if, if they learn um, a trade, uh, a viable trade. You know, you know, I mean, like carpentry, electricity, uh, plumbing. You know, also, you know, those trades. It's, so, so it's, it's across the board. If, if they um, if they can improve themselves and improve themselves into the community, that they have the opportunity to have their record expunged or get a pardon, depending on what type of crime uh, they were accused of. I just got a quick question for both of the judges. This is first of all, I want to say, hey, you guys, it's awesome. But my question is, are you seeing fruits uh, of your labor? Are you, uh, of what you came up with? Are you actually do you have stories that saying that, you know, we helped this person and now look what they're doing, you know, because of, you know, you know, any testimonials that you have actually heard from uh, people that you helped? 
Oh, oh yes. Um, it's it's it, and really, which 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 so good about it is not so much the guys, but when they come back to court, their families are there, and their families yeah. are so happy and 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 so joy to see them and, and receive them back and in, in, into the family. Um, you know, I got one of the guys who just was just released, and I had a conversation before he was released about about a month ago, and he's into uh, landscaping, and he's going he wants to start his own landscaping business, and he has the acumen to do it. And the first person he wanted as a customer was me. I said, well, look, I don't have any problems with that, but, you know, I'm very particular about when I cut grass and how I cut grass. And if yeah. you come there and screw it up, remember, you still have, you're still on probation for me. You know, so we had, <laughs> so we yeah. had a joke about it, you know. So, uh, no, but, uh, you know, the first graduate uh, uh, was Troy Beckton uh, in the program. And Troy had uh, was in welding. His father was into welding. Troy got into uh got into uh, drugs, selling drugs and using drugs. And Troy has now, now took over his daddy's welding business. Uh, and he's back with the mother of his children. Uh, they were married. And, uh, and you know, he's doing, well, he's doing well. And every now and then I take him back to the guys because some of the guys, when we first told them about the program, they thought it was a hustle. You know, they didn't believe it. And so when I took Troy back, it was a scam. When I took Troy back there, he explained it to him. If you do what you need to do, this is what, what happened to you. You know, and, uh, you know, I have more success stories than I do failures. And, you know, and I always tell people, if you can just save one, just save one, you know, that one means that family Mm -hmm. and that entire family, which means there are other, you know, youngsters and, you know, young kids in that family. And and, and the kids who are looking up to their dad now, you know, they don't have to go to school, you know, with back in their mind that their dad is in jail or was in jail. Now their dad has a has a decent job and and he's in their lives now. So if you could just save one, you will save others as well. Uh, that's awesome. Yes, so now we brought the teenage lifers back. Um, Judge Hunter, do you have the teenage lifers that are now returning um, uh, back into um, into society based on the uh, Supreme Court ruling? Uh, only if those judges allow it. Insofar as. Uh, uh, allow them to have uh, uh, probation here in, uh, or parole here in after uh, 30 or 35 years. Um, some judges have have allowed have amended the sentences, allow them to have a probation hearing. Some judges haven't. Um, it really hasn't picked up. I think Louisiana has about 200, 250, and uh, it really hasn't picked up um, picked up steam yet in uh, in Louisiana. Well, let me say this, judges. Uh, I wish we had more time. Uh, for this show, man. I mean, we're, we're learning so much, and what you folks are doing again, I, I can't say thank you enough. Uh, I'd like to personally thank you guys for joining us tonight. I'd like to be in touch offline uh, to get your perspective on a couple of things. Of course, not anything that uh, is off limits as, as we deal with the immigration. And, and uh, Judge uh, DeLeon, thank you for pointing it out to us uh, early on in the conversation with you and uh, Judge Brown. Uh, we will always respect uh, the court will always respect uh, the position, and we'll always honor that and honor your wishes in regards to that. But by no means do we not to. So we appreciate you for pointing that out to us and uh, bringing that education to us going forward. Uh, thank you guys for your service that you do. Uh, it means a lot. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule tonight to be part of this show. Uh, and I, I'll tell you now, we will always have a platform here. We may call you back as things shift in this nation on a day-to-day basis, we may have to get some perspective from those that sit on the panel. Go ahead. Hey, no problem. I'm glad you guys gave us this platform to, uh, you know, at least let the country know that, uh, 
you know, judges are, are not just up there uh, making rulings and, and, uh, and just wearing that black dress. Uh, you know, we're there uh, because we live in the communities as well. We uh, we want a quality of life for everyone, not just for some. And, sure. and, uh, and we, you know, I'm definitely available for you guys anytime. Thank you so much, Same Judge. here. We said better. Thank you, Judge Hunter. Judge and I'll get that to you, Judge Hunter. Yeah, you too. Send me that book. Yeah. I am. I am. <laughs> we're going hey, to be in touch of, uh, also uh, about that book as well, Judge, uh, offline. Yeah, just send Thank me you. the address and I'll send it to you. No we'll problem. No have, problem. Olivia, have Olivia give me a – just send me an email as to where to send it. I'll get it right out to you tomorrow. You got we'll it. Will do. Folks, you guys have a good evening, okay? Thank you so much you for too. joining AJ Radio. You Take too. care. Have a good evening. Okay. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh the judge is given a lot of information, uh, like like Cliff alluded to. That's what that's what makes judges of integrity the series so very important. Those actions, those steps, that's how you you implement change in this country. Uh, that's how you do it. So, uh, uh, William, your thoughts uh, on these judges, what they had to say, what they contributed, and then Dennis, I want you to follow up uh, after okay. William. You know, real quick, I think all three judges what they were doing was empowering the people, you know, um, I listened to judge Brown. He was talking about, you know, basically what they see when they look in the mirror. And that's, that's really the, the true test, what they see. Are they pleased with what they see? Are they encouraged with what they see? And then from there, how other people see them. So, you know, instilling, you know, self-respect and self dignity, where they're going, some direction, you know, that, that is a powerful weapon. And all the programs that they were talking about were doing that for these people, allowed them to reflect, look at, look at themselves and say, you know what, this is, you know, I need to change. And here, is, here are systems and tools and opportunities for that change. So you have no excuse. You, everything's right here. Like, like I think it was either you or Cliff had said, this is keys to the car. Here, take it and drive. You know, you have the opportunity. And so it's, that was really, really Amazing to hear the programs that they had. Dennis, your thoughts? If I had a negative uh, feeling toward judges uh, prior to this show, believe me, it has changed. Uh, wow. I mean, that is just awesome. When you talk about reentry, uh, when you Critical. talk about, you know, recidivism, I mean, oh, God. I mean, just the programs alone uh, to try to make sure that we, we, we lessen the burden on our, our prison system and that we try to change it to make sure people understand it's not about – reception uh but again he said it's about you know reintegration once once what you're going to do when you get out and if you give them that opportunity hopefully they'll never return well it's what you give them and 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 for judges to and judges are not bound to do what they're doing they take it upon themselves to do that exactly uh and that comes from years of experience on that bench knowing what they see day in day out uh and and you know the alan iverson case was a big deal uh and he weighed the evidence of what was the what was the truth. Allison Iverson was not a terrorist at all. Uh, that kind of stuff, you need wisdom of a judge to say, wait a minute, what are you doing? And we need more judges like that. And as, as he alluded to, uh, Allen Iverson uh, inducted in the Hall of Fame, the NBA Hall of Fame, an outstanding player and athlete. And had that happened, had a judge could not sit on the bench and discern what was right and what was wrong, uh, we wouldn't have been uh, blessed with the play of Allen Iverson. We wouldn't be blessed with his legacy 
uh, in the national in the NBA National Basketball Association. So uh, these are these are key things that we get, we got to really pay attention to. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we need to we need to pay attention. Uh, the uh, judges of integrity will continue next month, right around this time of the month. Uh, depending on what's happening, usually around this time, and once a month, we will take the time and the uh, take the opportunity to honor judges of integrity. And I thought the three tonight were great uh, and, and brought a lot of perspective uh, uh, to the conversation tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Thursday, uh, the RP5, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, Dave Zapolo, and Demetrius Harper, innocent men sitting in prison going on six years suffering injustice uh we will be concluding part two of the misconduct actions of officers of the court to include federal judge christina Aguayo and officer of the court uh an attorney uh, who actually chimed in uh really in slandering pastor rosebanks the church its members um a lot of things going on here. Uh, we're going to be dealing with that on Thursday evening. Please tell, please tune in to that program as we conclude. There was so much information we needed to get to last week. We did not get to. Very special thanks to Judge Joe Brown for joining us earlier in the segment tonight, uh, bringing his perspective to the criminal justice system. Uh, all that he's done, he is well-loved all over Facebook, all over social media, uh, well-respected. And uh, we appreciate all the judges and taking the time tonight to be part of this uh, Judges of Integrity series. Until Thursday, folks, have a good night. Take care. We'll see you next time. Sometimes the best way to help someone who has fallen into a hole is not to throw them a rope, but to climb in. Steve Hartman learned this on the road. Inside the county courthouse in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Judge Lou Oliveira made headlines with an unusual decision. You may be seated. A few years ago, Joe Cerna was arrested for drunk driving. As part of his probation, he wasn't allowed to drink. So when he lied about a recent urine test, the judge felt he had no choice. I gave Joe a night in jail because he had to be held accountable. It was just one night, but as he entered the cell, Joe says he knew it would be one of the longest nights of his life. When I walked into the jail cell and they closed the door behind me, I started feeling this um, anxiety. It came back. It came back. A flashback. Retired Army Sergeant First Class Joe Cerna did three tours in Afghanistan and has two Purple Hearts to show for it. The Green Beret survived an IED and a suicide bomber. But he says his scariest moment was the night he was riding in a truck with three other soldiers. What happened? We were, we were following the, the creek, and uh, the road gave way. And uh, the vehicle went into the creek. Truck started filling with water? Yeah. All hope was lost. Trapped and unable to move, Joe felt the water rising. Past his legs, then waist, and neck, until finally it stopped at his chin. How many guys got out of that truck? Alive? Yeah. Just me. I was a sole survivor. Joe says it still haunts him.
So I suffer from PTSD. Among his issues, a fear of being in small, cramped places. I knew what Joe was going through, and I knew Joe's history, and he had to be held accountable, but I just felt I had to go with him. I felt I had to go with him. And so, a few minutes after Joe was locked up, Judge Lou Oliveira surprised the man he sent to jail by joining for the entire night. We ate meatloaf, and uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about our families. And the walls got further apart. The walls just got, they, they, they didn't exist anymore. He brought me back to North Carolina from being in a truck in Afghanistan. That meant so much to me, sir. I mean, this week, Joe promised the judge no more mess-ups. I don't want to let you down, ever. Not how law and order usually works. But sometimes jail is not what a man needs. Sometimes the best sentence love you. Love you. is compassion. Thank you for me. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Okay, thank you, sir. And compassion heals.